Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here to this episode of the show. If you've missed any recent episodes of Max Politics, you can find those wherever you get your podcasts, or we have them all at the Gotham Gazette website. We've had some really great conversations in recent weeks and months with the seven candidates for city council speaker, although as we as we speak here on December 15th, that race is now down to two, maybe three candidates, and a lot is moving there. But if you want to hear any of those conversations with the seven who were in the running for city council speaker at one point, we've got all those in the podcast stream or at the Gotham Gazette site. I've also had some really great recent conversations with United Federation of Teachers, President Michael Mulgrew, talking about pandemic education, a push for a class size limit bill, uh, and the relationship between the teachers union and mayor-elect Eric Adams, and much more. Also just really had a really great conversation with a couple of housing advocates and experts to talk about the pro-housing movement in New York City and where it goes next under Mayor Adams, under Governor Hochul, with the prospects of some big potential dollars from Washington and much more what needs to happen in New York City around housing from the perspective of those advocates and experts. So a lot of recent great great conversations here on the show. There are others. Uh, Public advocate Jamani Williams was on just before he launched his bid for governor. You can find that where he outlined a lot about what he would uh, come to be saying in the in the following weeks as he launched that campaign and uh, and much more. So find any episodes of the show you're looking for at Max Politics, wherever you find your podcasts, or we have them all at the Gotham Gazette website. All right. Today's conversation, very happy to be joined for the first time by James Davis, the president of the CUNY Professional Staff Congress. That is the union of CUNY uh, faculty and staff. James, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, when you took over as president of the PSC at CUNY, and uh, and about the, the union itself. Sure. Um, well, as maybe your listeners may know, the Professional Staff Congress represents approximately 30,000 faculty and staff um, across the City University of New York. Um, I became president in late May of this past, late May. Um, prior to that, I had been and still am a faculty member at Brooklyn College, no longer teaching in this role. Uh, I've been at Brooklyn College since 2003, where, I, where I've been an English professor. Um, and, um, and it's just an incredible privilege to be able to serve in this role because the union has such an incredible history and it plays such an important role in terms of New York City politics and higher ed labor, uh, labor organizing nationally. So I feel really fortunate to be able to serve in this new role. And congratulations on taking on the new role. It's still so pretty new here. And what a time to take take over, of course, as the city and state and country are grappling with this pandemic still, um, which has obviously affected CUNY and its students and faculty and staff uh, so so greatly. And we'll get into that in a second. You're, you're roughly 30,000 members. What's the general breakdown there in terms of bigger categories within? Well, the major categories um, are that we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000, 6 to 7,000 full-time faculty members. We have about 11 or 12,000 um, adjunct faculty, contingent faculty members. 
Um, and then we have professional staff also in the neighborhood of 6,000. Uh, those are folks in titles like lab technicians, uh, higher education officers, which are the folks who work in the registrar's office, academic advising, uh, many, many administrative functions. Um, and then some of the slightly smaller categories are job titles, um, like continuing education instructors. We have CUNY start instructors, um, uh, you know, in the, in the hundreds as well, but those are the significant. Uh, yeah, that's great. Let me, let me, let me start right there. Um, uh, roughly 6,000 uh, full-time faculty and almost twice as many adjunct. That's been a big issue. Um, talk a little bit about that ratio, what you, why it's, why it's, why that ratio is what it is and what you think should be different about it. It's a good question to start off the conversation because those numbers kind of jump right out at you. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's for context, um, it's worth considering that back in the mid 1970s, we can go back that far for a minute, CUNY had 24,000 fewer students in the university, but we had 4,000 more, approximately 4,000 more full-time faculty members. So you can see the way that over time things have flipped um, and the vast majority now the instructional staff uh, are on contingent appointments without uh, access to, um, to, to real job security. So, um, you know, this is an area that the union has been, you know, struggling, fighting at both at the negotiating table and also um, you know, through legislation and budget to try, you know, to try to improve. Um, and when I say improve, I mean that not in the sense that um, that individual uh, adjunct faculty members are, are you know, worse teachers than full-time faculty members or anything like that. I was an adjunct myself for four years. I don't consider adjunct instruction itself to be uh, a problem. We have extraordinary adjuncts who regularly go above and beyond for our students, but the structure of the university is such that the budgets um, of the colleges are now effectively balanced on the backs of, you know, this large kind of army of just-in-time professors who are paid much less and have much less access to job security and academic freedom than their full-time colleagues have. Um, and uh, and that is a, that's not unique to CUNY by any means. It's a story that one sees in other institutions, but it's particularly acute at institutions that have undergone the kind of systematic overtime disinvestment that CUNY has has suffered. And what has been the barrier to negotiating uh, changes to that? Uh, that's obviously the job of your union, among others, and. Uh, you know, support from elected officials and, and, and you know, other uh, players involved, but what's been the biggest barriers to not having this ratio continue to grow? Yeah, we actually made a pretty significant breakthrough in the last round of negotiations um, where we managed to increase the minimum per course, you know, wage for adjunct faculty at CUNY by about 45%. Um, it actually deserves to be significantly higher still. Um, but we made a major campaign in the last round of negotiations. This, this wound up in 2019. Um, and so we lifted the floor significantly. Um, but 
you know, of course, the real answer to your question is just a budgetary one. There isn't um, the there, there isn't the political will. There hasn't been uh, to drive enough resources into our system that would actually lift that that uh, that adjunct wage floor um, to where it really needs to be and where it really actually values you know the work that our faculty are doing day in and day out in the classroom um you know in those titles so you know i i, I say that it's a budget issue but i think that when, when we put it that way um it sounds like there is just some natural um you know balance um but but really we all know that budgets um you know are political political documents and there hasn't really been um sufficient will um, you know, Albany is our major funder, the city also funds, um, but there hasn't been significant uh, investment in, uh, you know, um, from, our, from CUNY's funding partners in order to really lift that at, at, at the table and make the kind of structural change um, in the wages that we really need to see. And I think we made, we made a huge dent in that um, in, in the last round, but um, we'll be continuing that fight when we go back to the table in, in spring of 2023. And, and, and um, we jumped right into sort of your membership and, and, and some of those details about full-time faculty and adjunct. Um, but let's now uh, talk about where things stand um, at CUNY, CUNY campuses. It's very hard sometimes to talk about just, you know, what's happening at CUNY. There's obviously many, many campuses, many differences. But generally speaking, from your perspective, your union's perspective, um, how are things right now related to conditions on campuses, in classrooms, uh, in terms of safety uh, amid the pandemic, in terms of vaccine requirements, testing requirements, um, you know, ventilation, all of those things that, um, of course, your members are, are extremely interested in and worried about. Where do things stand and what are you looking to change here um, as we look ahead to the next semester coming in in the, in the spring? Yeah, um, another important question. It is foremost on, on the minds of our members and I, on the minds of students as well. I think at the end of the day, I think everyone, whether you're a student, staff member, faculty member, you know, um, you know, some people love teaching online, some people learning online, love learning online, and there's, there's a place for that. But I think a lot of folks want to be, they want to be back. They want to be, you know, working with students. They want to be face-to-face. -face. Um, the issue is that it, it's twofold. One is that none of us has a crystal ball and can really determine, much as we were looking at the Delta variant emerging late in the summer through a wrench into the best laid plans for the fall semester. Here we have a new variant that appears, you know, to be even more contagious than Delta. It's not totally clear what the impact is going to be in terms of the severity, all right, on people who have been vaccinated. Um, but, you know, I'm just hearing about the outbreak at Cornell and them having to close that campus down, um, you know, with something like now, I think today I'm hearing 900 students um, documented as having been infected. And so obviously nobody wants to be in a position where you're making students, faculty and staff members um, uh, uh, vulnerable, right? Any more than they need to be to, uh, to a, a, a vicious and, and very contagious uh, a variant of this pandemic. So 
So where does that leave us? So the other piece of it, in addition to like, you know, the, the course of the, of, of the virus itself is just the variability that I think you, you know, correctly referred to in the conditions across our many campuses. So, you know, 25 different colleges, including the professional schools, um, you know, we have some, we have some 300 buildings around the university. Some of them were built, you know, literally 60, 70, 80 more years ago, and some are brand new. And so there's a lot of variability from campus to campus. There, because of the disinvestment in CUNY that I was referring to earlier, uh, there are buildings, you know, on many campuses that have suffered for a long time pre-pandemic from deferred maintenance. And so a lot of the work that CUNY, um, and I give them a lot of credit for this, a lot of the work that CUNY was doing, um, you know, during the pandemic when there weren't a lot of students on the campus, faculty and staff mostly off the campus, was to try to um, make the kinds of repairs and, and uh, you know, upgrade HVAC systems and put things in work order so that uh, it was possible to bring people back onto campus in greater numbers. Now, that said, I think that CUNY overestimated in the fall semester their ability to bring people back. And part of it was just, I think everyone early in the summer, you know, people were getting vaccinated, everybody was out in the streets, people were hugging each other, we wanted to be back. And I think, you know, CUNY also wanted to, um, uh, you know, put the brakes on some of the enrollment drops that had been happening and said, okay, we're gonna bring people back to campus, students wanna learn in person, and then Delta hit. And it was very hard for the university administration to see that they needed to pivot. And at that point, they did not have a vaccine mandate for students. They were waiting on the vaccine mandate from the FDA to approve it for non-emergency use. And so we had a very messy entry transition into the fall semester where they had really overshot on really the viability of holding a certain percentage of in-person classes without having um, you know, a vaccinated in-person student body. We didn't have a mask mandate you know, um, in, in August. The union really had to push for a strong mask mandate. And even now, I mean, I'll, you know, I could talk more about it if, you, if you'd like, but even now, you know, we're still trying to press the university to give us the kind of ventilation data on a, you know, on a room by room, office by office basis so that we know when people are entering those classrooms, whether it's our members or our students, that there is sufficient airflow. Um, you know, uh, a lot of these buildings are non-HVAC buildings. So we're talking about literally the ability to open a window or hopefully more than one. So where things stand now, us, us talking here December 15th, um, there is a vaccination requirement for students who are attending in-person classes. Um, there is not a vaccination requirement for faculty and staff. Um, and as far as I know, there haven't been any real outbreaks or issues related to CUNY classrooms or campuses as far as we know at this point. Is that all correct? Yeah, that's all accurate. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so um, what do you, is there anything around vaccinations, testing that you wanna see change before the next semester begins? Should at this point there be a faculty staff uh, vaccine mandate for, for CUNY? Yeah, I mean, we're, I, I keep expecting that um, the university will will seek to implement that. And I think, you know, the union's position 
uh, unlike some other labor unions in the city, ha, you know, has not been to try to oppose or you know to to press a lawsuit um, if that were to come. We're we're eager to try to negotiate implementation um, if the university were to you know to seek to impose a vaccine mandate on on faculty and staff. As of yet, um, you know, they they have not done that, um, but we're certainly prepared to sit down with them and and look at what that would mean for for the faculty and staff. And look, I mean. At the end of the day, I think that what, what everyone at the university really wants is that there'll be multiple layers of protection in place. And I think right now what we have is, you know, we, we've had to press at every step along the way, um, you know, for the university to introduce additional and more rigorous layers of protection. Nobody is ever gonna be perfectly safe. We've learned that at this point even full vaccination, right, with the breakthrough cases is not going to be a bulletproof uh, answer to this. But the more layers um, of safety that we can introduce, and everyone has their different risk thresholds, and we recognize that. Um, but, um, you know, with each layer of protection we can introduce, the safer we're all going to be. We were really pleased that um, about a month or six weeks ago, the university began a, what they call a surveillance or a random testing program of, of vaccinated individuals on campus. You know, we we had been pushing for that since the summer. Actually, um, it has not been it hasn't been rolled out in a particularly smooth way. But it, you know, it does mean that 10% of vaccinated members of any campus community who are you know are going to be in person are going to be tested. On a regular rotating basis and we feel again that that's a mechanism one among several mechanisms for um, ensuring that there's some monitoring and prevention of outbreaks on the campuses some of what we're talking about there with with vaccine mandates relates to the strange somewhat strange governance structure here which is cuny more being a state entity than, than a city entity, although obviously funded in part uh, by both, as well as tuition and fees and, and lots of other things, then obviously the board of trustees, the chancellor. Um, so the decision on this would likely have to come from the governor or the board, correct? Yeah, that's right. We are. This is not something that the mayor's orders really apply to, even though these are all city facilities. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We are a hybrid creature. So, you know, the chancellor will, you know, the chancellor will, has been and will continue, I think, to be in consultation with both the state and the city on that. But, but right, the, uh, the vaccine mandates that have come out from the Blasio administration have, uh, for better or worse, not applied to us. And so this gets at the larger issue here, which is something very interesting. I'm sure you've heard Mayor de Blasio say this recently. I, I heard him say it for the first time at a event uh, at Hunter recently, um, and then he's repeated it since, which is he compared the MTA to CUNY and this idea that these are both quasi-independent entities, but they are obviously state entities when it all comes down to it, but they also have a lot of city funding and the city decision-making that's related. And he said that there was a lot of concerted effort when there were big problems at the MTA several years ago to really make it clear this is a state responsibility at the time, Governor Cuomo needs to really step up and take more ownership at the MTA, and and that that happened, uh, you know, to a large degree. And yet, that that hasn't happened with CUNY. Do you agree with that assessment? And now that we have Governor Hochul in office, what are you hoping for in terms of state leadership uh, taking more, you know, quote unquote, ownership of CUNY? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's, it's so important. Uh, Not to get you to comment at all on the MTA, although you can, if you want to. I love the MTA analogy um, because I, 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 I'm a subway rider all the time. I love the MTA, but I think it's a good analogy because, um, you know, look, much in the same way that the MTA can at times become like a political football between the mayor and the governor. And if they're feuding, it doesn't bode well for the MTA and other, uh, you know, other agencies like that. In a similar way, um, you know, all too often CUNY has become like a political football in, you know, some kind of a competition between um, between our former governor and, and, and the mayor. And I think what, what we're hopeful about here at the PSC right now is that that kind of long running feud, uh, you know, between the, the governor and the mayor would, in, you know, in which really CUNY students were the greatest sort of casualty. Um, that that you know that we'll see a change of course on that and that we'll see better collaboration better communication um you know and and overall in the end better support um for for cuny i mean let's remember that you know it was only it was just not that long ago just a few years back uh the the governor during during the budget cycle threatened to cut almost half a billion dollars 485 million dollars from cuny's budget in, uh, in, a, in a kind of attempt to try to get the de Blasio administration to, um, you know, on the wrong foot and to pick up the, the bill on that. And, you know, that, that's, just, that's just so cruel to an institution and to the students who ultimately we would be hurt if that cut were to go through. And so, you know, that, that kind of positioning um, and that kind of attitude towards what is in fact the largest and most historic public urban higher education institution in the whole country, um, we shouldn't be a political football. And I think, you know, that's on the one hand, it's for our members, the faculty and staff who we represent, who deserve better, um, but it's also for the students that we serve. We serve, you know, 260,000 students in the city. And, um, you know, we're really hopeful actually that not just, um, not just Governor Hochul, but the entire dynamic that is shifting around right now in Albany will help to create a better, uh, you know, a better uh, relationship with the city and with the university. And what are some of the asks of Governor Hochul as she approaches her state of the state in January, her first executive budget? Those could both be her only if she's not successful in the election. But um, but she said something about an overhaul of SUNY being on part of part of her agenda. Again, you know, I don't maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't hear mention of CUNY. Um, Again, you know, uh, sort of a noteworthy uh, omission there, but the, but that was just more of an offhanded comment by her being asked about the SUNY situation, which we don't have to get into. Um, so what are your asks of the governor as she prepares this uh, state of the state agenda, state budget, and if you want, you know, how that then rolls into what will be city budget season under a new mayor who is a CUNY alum? Yeah, yeah, thanks for that question. Um, so, I mean, it's it's possible at this point for Governor Hochul to really lead the way in a really transformative investment in the CUNY system. Um, you know, there's, you know, on a per student basis, funding for CUNY on the operating budget has declined 18% since the Great Recession in 2008-2009. So roughly, rough, roughly coextensive with the Cuomo um, uh, tenure in, as governor, you know, we've really lost ground. And so I think she has a real opportunity now, not just to, 
kind of make the university whole from that, but also to step really in a bold way forward into the 21st century and say, okay, how could CUNY become, again, a real crown jewel in terms of public higher education systems in, in the United States? So what would that mean concretely? Well, one thing I think it's a very good signal is that the university administration has actually put forward a budget that um, you know, that really begins to request what they need, what the university really needs to begin to build back from those years of austerity funding. Um, and so I guess, you know, piece one in answer to that question, what would I love to see in the in the state of the state address or in the governor's executive budget would be, you know, first things first, you know, to fulfill the request that the CUNY Board of Trustees and administration approved and brought forward. From the state level, that would mean an additional $313 million uh, above last year's enacted state budget on the city side, which we could talk about next, but that's there's an additional $103 million requested over and above last year's enacted uh, city budget. So uh, you know, these are these are not actually sounds like a lot of money, but they're not actually in, in Albany terms. These are not big asks, but they would go uh, a long distance toward, towards trying to make uh, make whole uh, some of the, the the really problematic developments that we started to talk about earlier. Um, and then I would go one farther than that. You know, part B is we, we and along with our partners in the CUNY Rising Alliance, um, developed over the past couple of years a piece of legislation you're probably familiar with, the New Deal for CUNY. Um, in, in the New Deal for CUNY has several components to it, um, but some of the budget requests that the university put forward actually tracks very closely with the platform in the New Deal for CUNY. So for example, part of the budget request for that additional 313 million from the state has to do with trying to beginning to replenish our, our ranks of full-time faculty and beginning to professionalize um, the working conditions for our adjunct faculty, just you know, for one thing. Um, you know, there's also a request, a strong request in, in CUNY's own uh, budget for, for the coming year for increase in mental health counselors. Mental health counseling is something that's always been important at CUNY. It's never been more important than it is now, you know, after 18, 19 months of a horrible pandemic. So there's many ways in which CUNY's own budget request is starting to reflect the shape and the contours and the substance of what we brought forward um, last year and began to make some headway on uh, New Deal for CUNY legislation. Um, look, there's other pieces in the New Deal for CUNY, but the, the splashiest piece, and I think the direction that, to come back to your question about Governor Hochul, you know, Governor Hochul could begin to move CUNY again back to being tuition-free for in-state undergraduate students. And, um, you know, that, that may sound like a pipe dream, but listeners should remember that uh, for over hundred years, for more than a century, CUNY was tuition-free for in-state undergraduate students, um, you know, so what may have sounded several years ago, you know, like some lunatic idea is not, it's a, it's a, it's a mainstream idea. Um, fiscally, it makes sense. CUNY graduates return, you know, dollar on dollar. So, so much back into the state coffers. And uh, we feel like right, right now the comptroller is reporting, you know, major surpluses in, in the, in the general funds. It's really an opportunity in this year's budget to begin to move the university system back, uh, back to being uh, tuition free for in-state undergrads again. 
you're very unlikely to get all of the new deal for CUNY, at least uh, this coming year. There are pillars that would seemingly, you know, uh, come up against each other, moving towards free tuition versus improving faculty student ratios, uh, advisor student ratios, adding the counselors, you know, every time you talk about additional expenses, whether it's uh, more state funding to cover tuition, or it's, uh, you know, lower faculty to student ratios, more advisors to student ratios, um, you know, those can, those can, those are all budget, budgetary items and become part of the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how are you thinking about priorities there? Uh, How do your members, you know, I, I, I would assume, you know, members of a, of a faculty uh, union would, would prioritize the faculty to student ratio and even the counselor to student ratio over making CUNY free again. But I understand free tuition is obviously something that's a much broader goal for so many people. Right. Right. Um, I mean, the, you know, they're big ticket items for sure. Uh, And, um, that's part of why the way that the legislation is framed is that it has a five-year phase in because we don't have illusions that we can snap our fingers and get this done in one fell swoop. However, it is really striking. It wasn't that long ago, you know, that we witnessed um, even under the Cuomo administration, granted under a more vulnerable Cuomo administration, we saw that the legislature, you know, was able to raise revenue you know, for four and a half billion new dollars coming in by raising new revenue. And I don't know whether there's appetite this year or not. I can't speak for the legislature to continue to raise new revenue. But when we see the numbers that are coming out of the comptroller's office, um, you know, about the state surplus, we see that, you know, the surplus in the city as well. Well, we see what's likely or possible to happen in terms of federal investment in the state and the city through Build Back Better, which I know is not a done deal. It doesn't seem crazy to say that several, if not all, of these big ticket items could actually be done and and done really well. So I guess, I mean, I hear you on the point that, you know, we need to we need to prioritize. But um, but I also think that when you actually look at what the lift is um, to accomplish these things, um, it it may be possible to um, not have to uh, divide up. The, the the same pieces you know different pieces in the same old pie but to be able to say okay actually we're working with a different pie now and it could be quite bigger um and uh and again you know we we have to take a step back and, and just think about the fact that even if cuny were funded at the same per student rate that we were in 1990 today there would already be $920 million more in CUNY's budget. So there's been such a steady and sharp erosion, um, you know, that we just have, we have a long way to climb back. So, so I, I mean, I hear the force of the question. It's a real question. It's a, it's a political uh, a question that, you know, will certainly, you know, be challenging uh, for us and, and, and for the legislature and for all the advocates in, in the months to come. But, uh, I think we do have to think about it in the context of not just trying to be additive here, but trying to reclaim really um, what was rightfully um, in this university uh, up until a decade or two decades ago. 
We are in our last couple of minutes here with James Davis, the president of the Professional Staff Congress of CUNY, talking about the city university system and where it stands and uh, challenges and goals, especially, of course, from the perspective of PSC CUNY. Um, all right, last couple of questions, James, and appreciate the time here. Um, the chancellor at CUNY, uh, Chancellor Felix Matos Rodriguez, uh, he's been on the job a little bit longer than you in his position, uh, but is is you know still somewhat new and obviously has had to deal with this uh, horrible pandemic uh, for the bulk of his leadership here. Um, how is the relationship with him and are there things that you uh, have been bumping up against with CUNY leadership uh, that are some of the biggest challenges, hurdles there? that we haven't discussed. Um, how's that going and what do you need from, from leadership from your perspective? Yeah, um, I mean, I think, you know, the, the chancellor, like you said, is relatively new. Uh, it's great from our point of view, he comes from, he, he is himself a faculty member. He comes through the system. He's been a leader at multiple CUNY campuses. He brings that perspective to the position. I think he has a lot of respect for uh, for what we do, um, you know, in the classrooms and the way that we attempt to support students. I, I think what remains to be seen is that I think it was very, it's been very difficult um, given the political configuration in the state. It has been very difficult for um, any leader within the CUNY system recently to really step out and exert leadership. And so I think this chancellor is um, in the process now of carving that path, you know, for himself and for the rest of the chancellery. And so we'll, um, we'll see, you know, what he continues to do as he, as he moves in to a role under, under different, different conditions. Um, in one area that I think I'm really, really hopeful about, I think all of us are, as you know, CUNY serves uh, a student population that is, has large percentages of immigrant students, has large percentages of students who are the first in their families to attend college um, and has approximately over 70% students of color. I think that this chancellor understands those factors, um, you know, and uh, wa wants to support that, those elements of the mission of the university. I think, you know, what remains to be seen is it really in crunch time, um, how the university advocates um, you know, with the with the state and the city. And then as well, when we come up for contract negotiations again in spring of 2023, um, you know, I think there and too, we were hopeful that um, that value in terms of what we do day in and day out, serving the specific student population that we serve, the mission that the university um, was founded on and that all of us are so dedicated to um, whether that has a corresponding value in um, in contract negotiations as well. Is there any chance really of the CUNY Chancellor, Board of Trustees, any, any significant number getting behind the New Deal for CUNY and, and sort of differentiating CUNY leadership for, you know, publicly, you know, there, there's, there's requests out there, as you noted, ahead of budget season, but you know, taking on a, a more active role, as you said, sort of getting out from under what had been seemingly sort of total adherence to the Cuomo administration and having a little bit of a different identity. Is there any real hope for that? Or because it's such a creature of the state and under 
gubernatorial leadership in, in, you know, such a way that that's not possible? No, I do think it's possible. I mean, whether the university administration will, you know, fly the banner or brand a campaign the way we would, you know, with our coalition partners. I mean, we have we have coalition partners in labor and student groups and, you know, CUNY is going to frame things the way they do. But in terms of the actual priorities that are in the New Deal for CUNY, in terms of the priorities that are inside that legislation, there's no reason why, uh, you know, their interests are not aligned with ours. We're all, you know, we are looking really to drive resources into this university and to target those resources in specific directions, in specific areas. And we may have disagreements about particulars where resources should go, but I think at the end of the day, they, you know, they share those commitments. And I think it's worth remembering that, you know, we have in our state and our city legislature both an enormous number of alumni of these institutions, right? So you, we have right now an attorney general, for example, she doesn't vote on the, you know, on the budget, but we have an attorney general who's a Lehman College graduate, right? We have at least one candidate and counting maybe for, gov for governor who, who's, you know, a CUNY graduate. We have leaders in both chambers who have CUNY degrees and we have an incoming mayor who has two CUNY degrees. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a bit of a false kind of opposition that, uh, you know, because their management, they kind of can't get on board with what the union is advocating. Um, again, they may brand it differently, but I think they should climb on board and call it whatever they'd like and push for the same things. All right, we're gonna leave it there, James Davis. Appreciate the time. Uh, James Davis is the president of PSC CUNY, relatively new uh, still, so uh, although a long time, obviously leader with the, with the staff Congress there, uh, congrats again on, on taking the helm and, and thanks for coming on for the first time here. It's, it's been good to talk with you. Thanks, Ben, thanks for having me. Thank you.